The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. So, welcome to episode 31. We've got uh, some interesting, uh, momentous news about the Honda Accord, which means there's a new one. Um, yeah. But <laughs> there's some other stuff too. And first, we'll start with what we're driving. And before I bore everyone to death with uh, my um, slice of mediocrity, I don't. I, I, maybe. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we'll figure out what to call it. But uh, Sam, you're driving the Mercedes-Benz GLA 45. Uh, yeah, I, I I got the GLA 45 uh, right right as we were recording the last show, so I hadn't you know I'd, I'd just gotten it that day and I uh, hadn't had a chance to drive it yet, so I didn't talk about it. But uh, yeah, it's um it's a it's a really interesting little car. Uh, you know, it's uh, the GLA. You know, is Mercedes uh, compact crossover technically um yeah but that's like it's funny that you call it a car because that's really what it is it's a hot hatch yeah oh yeah i mean it i mean the dimensions aside from the ride height the dimensions are almost exactly the same as a mazda 3 you know same wheelbase you know and and for that matter you know same as a whole bunch of c-segment cars like you know the the uh uh, Honda Civic and the Mazda 3 and uh, the Chevy Cruze, they're all that same size and same width, same length. Um, the GLA, the normal GLAs actually sit a little bit taller than the, the AMG version, obviously. You know, and the AMG is pr- pretty close to, you know, something roughly akin to a Golf R or a Focus RS, um, which makes it very interesting. Um, you know, it's all wheel drive. It's got a two liter um, turbocharged four cylinder engine uh, that's, you know, really cranking it out, you know, since it's an AMG, uh, 375 yeah. horsepower and uh, 350 foot pounds of torque. And a uh, bad attitude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love the way that thing like just snarls and pops. And oh, yeah. Well, whatever. Well, to, to do that, though, you have to put it in like Sport Plus or, or race mode or, or Sport. It'll do it a bit. And, you know, whenever you start the thing, it defaults to comfort mode and it doesn't have it doesn't really have that snarl and hiss. Um, so you, you know, pretty much, you know, you start it and then just twist the knob uh, behind the shifter to get it into uh, Sport Plus or, or race mode. And then, you know, then it's all good to go. Yeah, that becomes like your default action when you start it up because there's no point in driving it in comfort mode. Well, yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that um, the the engine is paired with a seven speed dual clutch transmission and you know, in comfort mode, it really feels kind of lazy, um, yeah. particularly, you know, launching from a stop from a standing start. Uh, you, you really have to give it a fair bit of gas to get it to go anywhere to move either in reverse or in drive. And so, you know, if you if you put it into Sport Plus, um, it's you know, it picks up a lot quicker. It engages a lot quicker. Um, you know, it's still, you know, don't know that I'd necessarily call it a, 
wouldn't wouldn't say it would necessarily be a great drag racer, but you know, it'll run zero to 60 and they claim 4.3 seconds. And I, I believe that I didn't actually measure it, but it's, it felt like about that. Um, and you know, the one I had had the, uh, the matte silver paint finish on it, which looks really good. Um, and you know, really deeply bucketed seats. Uh, one, one complaint I had about it and very high belt line, uh, you know, so it feels like you're sitting in a bathtub, uh, you know, so that that wasn't much fun. And then um, another thing about it is the AMG version, you know, because of the uh, the white, the bigger wheels and tires, it's running on uh, 19 inch alloys with 235, 45 wheels. Um, it seems like it really restricts the um, the turning angle of the front wheels. And so the turning circle is about 39 feet. You know, that's for, awful. for a car with a 106 inch wheelbase is pretty bad. Uh, my wife and I went out to dinner and I was, you know, trying to maneuver it into a parking space in a parking garage in Ann Arbor. And, you know, it, it took me a couple of tries to get it in just because I couldn't turn it sharp enough to, to get it to go in straight. You know, and it was a fairly, fairly small area that I had to maneuver in. And, you know, this is not a big car, but it just, you know, it couldn't turn very tight, which, you know, it's kind of disappointing. Yeah, my S60s, my Volvos were like that uh, as well. And it was, you know, going from the rear wheel drive ones that could turn very tight. And I'm sure, you know, rear wheel drive Mercedes is very similar because it's it's a European car designed for, you know, that kind of city. Um, you could get a lot of steering angle at it. The A lot of front wheel drive cars, you just can't get much steering angle. So you have to do like a zillion point turn. Like a 39 foot turning circle is huge. Well, uh, yeah, like I said, and especially in a car that size. Yeah, and that's what makes it even worse. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's it is that is kind of ridiculous, um, you know, because I think you know for for a typical typical for a car that size, you know, it's closer to about thirty two feet, uh, thirty two or thirty three feet is is more common. So yeah, it's definitely uh, not not particularly maneuverable in tight spaces, but. Um, out on the open road, it's very maneuverable. Yeah. yeah, it rides and handles really well. Yeah, it's you know it's not too stiff. Um, you know, so you can drive it. You know, and pretty much anything. And you know, one of the one of the interesting things that I've taken to uh, to doing you know, recently with cars like this. You know, went back when I had the RS, the Focus RS, a couple of months ago. Um, one of the things I complained about was you know on some stretches of highway around here. Um, where it's got these long, slow waves, you know, in the concrete pavement and the focuses, you know, get into this bouncy vertical motion on those, on those sections of the road. And the, the GLA had no issue at all with that. It just, you know, cruised right over it, even though it felt like it was a stiffer suspension setup than the, uh, than the RS. Um, it still had no issues at all. You know, with that, you know, it, it handled it much, much better than the than the focus does. How does it stack up against stuff like the Golf R that you mentioned in the Focus RS? Otherwise, I mean, I know it's certainly it's it's more expensive and it's sort of oh, in a, oh in a boy, different place. More expensive. Yeah, it's a ridiculous, um, ridiculously priced car. So like. It does offer something unique in that it's it's got that AMG mystique. It it's certainly uh, seems a little quicker but how uh, what what else do you get with this car that you're you you would be missing out on with the sort of its its competitors that we've we've identified well i haven't driven the the current golf r it's been uh, been a while since i drove a you know like a previous generation golf r but certainly you know compared to the focus you know i think the the interior is much nicer um you know of course Mercedes, you know, doesn't offer a manual transmission. So you, you get the DCT and you do get paddle shifters, you know, which are, you know, very responsive. But, um, you know, with the, the focus is manual only, uh, as is the uh, the new, excuse me, the new Civic Type R. It's also manual transmission only. Uh, so you don't have that option in the uh, in this one. Um, but. You know, in terms of, you know, overall refinement in the interior, you know, the fit and, you know, the, the materials and everything, you know, it does feel more expensive, you know, in keeping with its price tag that starts at 51 grand. And the one I drove, I think, was, was close to 60. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, where, whereas, you know, a Focus RS, you know, starts at about 35 or 36. 
Um, you know, and you know, you can get it to around 40, low forties, you know, if you tick off every option in the book, um, you know, the, the seats, you know, in both of them are, are really good. You know, the focus has got, um, Recaro's, I'm not sure who makes the, the seats for the Mercedes, but you know, they're similarly deeply bucketed, you know, they'll, they'll hold you in place. You're not, you're not going to be squirming around. You don't have to worry about where your backside is, you know, when you're cornering hard, you, you know, just it's you're going to be held in place securely um you know aside from the the maneuverability issue in in tight spaces you know there and and the price you know there really aren't any any compromises in this one um so you know i think it, like i say i mean it it certainly has a a feel that is more akin to its price tag but um and and for me, at least, you know, because of some of the roads I drive on, you know, I thought it, it drove better. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say the performance is dramatically better. It's a little bit quicker. You know, it's got a little more power, you know, 375 versus 350 in the Focus. Um, and, you know, the, the Civic Type R is 307. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, I think, you know, you're to a degree you're getting, you know, you're paying more, but you're getting more for your dollar. Yeah, I'm just like I'm kind of curious. For sixty grand, I don't, you know, right? I don't know that I'd pay sixty thousand dollars for this car, uh, but you know, it is what it is. It's somebody will, and oh yeah, I I mean honestly, that's the only GLA that's worth considering because the GLA two fifty is so bland and boring and wimpy and weird. It's just not a car that. I don't know. I well, there, I, I would never you know, consider. There, there's also there's also another option as well. Um, you know, Mercedes did a deal with um, Nissan uh, a few years ago to to do some platform and engine sharing, and so the Infiniti QX30 is basically a reskinned version of the GLA, and uh, the the, uh, the QX30 is actually really nice. I I I actually really like. I think I prefer the styling of the. Uh, the infinity and it has the same engines in there. Um, and I, I actually, when I drove the QX 30 last summer, I was really impressed with it. I, I liked it a lot. Um, especially with the, uh, with the turbo engine. Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, the, the QX 30 sport. I think that's, that's a, that's an interesting wrinkle and B, I think that's actually, I agree with you. Um, infinity stylings is across the board. It's actually really good. Uh, and that one of the things I don't like about the GLA is how just crappy it looks unless it's the AMG. So I know that's, that's opinion, but that's my opinion. Well, they, they, <laughs> did, they did refresh it for 2018. It does. Yeah. The 2018 model does look a little, a little better. It looks a little more aggressive, you know, even in its base form than it did before. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it, it doesn't look, you know, it, it's a little less bland than it was before. So I think it's, you know, it might might be worth another look. Uh, well, all right. I'll take another look at it on the website and I'll still probably do the sharp intake of breath uh, when I look at the prices. And I mean, it's a, it's a Mercedes. Yeah, yeah so I know. I know that, that goes with the territory. Yeah. Um, so that's let's 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 move on then to. Yeah. So uh, you have. It, I had you had a couple of crossovers, too, didn't you? I had some crossover ish. Uh, so I have one one kind of compact crossover and one uh, all-wheel drive hatchback. Uh, so uh, I thought it was an interesting thought experiment this week. I uh, This week I'm driving the Mitsubishi Outlander Sport. It's an LE and it's a special edition, whatever that means. Um, and I've last week I touched on it briefly. I had the Subaru Impreza 2.0i uh, premium. So they're not exactly sort of complete analogs for each other. I think if it were like the Crosstrek, then they'd be sort of perfect competitors. But the the Impreza does a decent stand-in and they both cost about $24,000. They both have two liter engines. They're both all-wheel drive. Uh, They really do play in pretty much the same end of the market. Uh, And it's interesting because they're not luxury. They're not sport. uh, They're all arounders. So these cars have to fill so many roles that it can often mean that it, 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 they don't excel at any single one. It's kind of a, a recipe for mediocrity uh, because it has to be all things to all of the people that are buying them. So uh, 
to to look at these two cars one right after the other, I was like, okay, well, on the plus side, the Subaru has a, an all new platform that feels, you know, it's it's much more solid than the outgoing car, as Subaru says, and and you feel that from behind the wheel, and it certainly feels more solid than the uh, than the Outlander. But on the other hand, the Outlander looks better, I think. Uh, you know, styling is certainly subjective, but um, I'm not in love with the new Impreza styling, uh, which looks like the old Impreza styling, uh, you know, so, so a, a to, to super the last time you said a Mitsubishi looks better than well, X. you know, uh, if you'd step back from because it's easy to hate Mitsubishi, right? It's easy to just throw throw insults their way. Um, and for a variety of reasons, they kind of they deserve some of the shade, but also like the Outlander Sport is the best selling Mitsubishi, and I can see why. Uh, some of their, most of their stuff is, is not terribly styled. Uh, this one is especially well done. You know, it's, it's tidy on its wheelbase and it has a bit of, uh, you know, a, a rake to its, its stance. Maybe that's just with the styling. Um, cause there's this descending character line in the door, uh, that sort of rakes it forward. Um, and you know, I, I, yeah, I don't disagree with you. I, that, you know, I think the, the, um, the Outlander Sport is definitely the best looking vehicle that Mitsubishi's made in a long time. Yeah. And 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 it you give up something for that. You know, the Subaru what what surprised me the most was the Outlander Sport and the Subaru both sit on a 105-inch wheelbase. It's like the Outlander Sport is 105.1, or one of them is is a tenth of an inch longer than the other. I, I was astounded by that because the Impreza looks so much longer. It it looks like it's stretched over a long wheelbase and a part of that is because it's lower uh so maybe the cross track will will look a little stubbier um and also you know the the profile the roof line of the outlander sport it's got like a little bit of a almost like a cam back or a reverse cam back um you know so the roof is is shorter uh and you know the the subaru has more interior space it's it's uh it got you know the materials wise that's a wash tech wise that's a wash <laughs> you know so like overall i think um not to, to super belabor the point but uh i you know the impress is all new and it's it's a better value uh, at twenty four thousand. it had stuff like the eyesight system which is now in its second generation and it's it's much more capable it still doesn't um fully do like uh stop and go like cue control uh but it it will come all the way to a full stop and then you you do have to put your foot on the brake or you'll just like idle into the car in front of you um but that that system because that one's really interesting because it's not it's not like radar sensors it's camera based right it's a it's a stereoscopic camera system uh so it uses two cameras to do the range finding instead of using uh using radar yeah, it, it's it's one of the few on the on the market that does that. It works really well. Um, and it's, you know, now you're, you're getting that in a twenty four thousand dollar car. It's got uh, the um, lane keeping system, which is now oh, that's also new. And I was so I was playing with that where if you if you go over like a solid yellow on the side of the road, it'll actually nudge the car back uh, toward towards its lane. Uh, and it's it's gentle. And I. I shut it off <laughs> normally, but you know, you have to play with these things too. And they, they are getting much better. And, and I think that one of Subaru's uh, positions, they've decided to move into that area of the market that uh, you know, like the lower price Volvos and Mercedes cars, they just don't exist anymore in this market. They, they're not around, uh, but people still want a relatively affordable car that is, you know, it doesn't need to be super luxurious, but they want a car with a good reputation for durability and safety and, uh, you know, it can handle your lifestyle. Well, the so the, I feel like the Impreza wins in this Outlander versus Impreza shootout. It's a newer platform. It drives better. Um, it's, you know, efficiency is probably a little bit higher, although neither neither car is super inefficient. They have a two liter four cylinder. They do what they do. Um, they both have CVTs. Both suck. Uh, <laughs> super CVT is a little better. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, it's a solid car that will do everything you need it to do. It's not a car you're going to love. Like if you want to love it, get a WRX and 
that'll be a lot more entertaining. Um, so it was well, it was instructive. Know, I, I think, you know, the probably the majority of people buying a Subaru probably will love, you know, even the base Impreza. You know, the enthusiasts probably won't love it, as you said. You know, and they're the ones that want you know would want a WRX. But I think you know, average consumers would probably be thrilled with something like this car. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. Um, I think that they'll love it for different reasons, right? They'll love it because it does have that that uh, lane keeping system and the eyesight and the uh, the the um, the blind spot uh, detection stuff uh, integrated nicely. It has now it's got a new infotainment system that's better. Um, and the the Mitsubishi has a new infotainment system that's that's also better. Uh, that's kind of about a wash. They're still, you know, lagging the industry leaders, but they're not as frustrating to use as they had been. Uh, so that's that's a plus. Neither car had nav. Both cars have really easy to use climate controls. You know, it was to me, it's like all the car you need. And, and that's that's like a super practical way to come at it, I suppose. But you look around and you go, okay, so this is a car you spend $24,000 on it. This car is going to last for two decades. Uh, if you just maintain it, it is like all, all the car. Most, most people need, we get caught up in the emotional decisions and we buy more car, but uh, it, you know, it's nice to see that there's still a lot of value to be had under $30,000. Cause I, you know, every now and then uh, I start to fret that, it's really hard to buy an affordable car and, and we can argue about how affordable $24,000 is, but you know, and, and that, you know, that is a very serious concern. You know, affordability is a serious concern. And, you know, that's why we're seeing more and more cars being financed on, on longer and longer loan terms. You know, a lot of people, you know, getting 72 and 84 month loans, uh, which, which is a problem, you know, cause I think we talked a little bit about this last week. You know, I went to this, uh, event where uh, some folks from Cox Automotive presented a whole bunch of data, you know, cause they, they do a lot of work with a lot of dealers, you know, both on the, the new and the used side and they gather, they collect a lot of data on vehicle transactions. Um, and so, you know, they've, you know, they, uh, what they've seen, you know, from the data is, you know, over time, the average payments have stayed relatively steady, you know, so the average payment is, you know, in the, 400 to $450 a month range, but the number of payments you have to make on that car have gone up steadily, uh, you know, from four years to five to six to seven. You know, yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's kind of crazy for, for buying a car. Well, I mean, luckily the cars last longer too, but uh, you, there's still that fundamental issue where, you know, you're buying that car and a lot of, you know, a lot of times now I think luxury features have become a lot more popular. Um, that that's a double-edged sword. You know, you filled your car with, uh, you know, power seats and other stuff that, that can have problems. And if you're spending sort of X amount and you can't really afford much more for upkeep, you've boxed yourself in where you've got this, this expensive car that you're paying for, for a very long time. And you, you, you can, you can afford the payment, but you can't really afford ownership. You know, you can buy it, but you can't afford it. It's two different, two different things. Uh, well, fortunately, you know, that's that's the other thing with with new cars. For the most part, they actually don't require a whole lot of maintenance anymore, you know, other than, you know, the wear items like tires and brake yeah. pads and wipers. But, you know, and, and just oil changes, you know, it's not like you got to take the car in for a tune up every three, three or six months. You know, all of that stuff, you know, everything will run for 100,000 miles or more without without ever really looking at it. Yeah, I mean that that's true. Um I you know the the stuff we're very spoiled now. It's it's pretty good. Um I, you know, I I just recall uh being astounded when one of my friends this is back in the late 90s he bought a Plymouth Breeze. And we were all just like you're married to that thing for 7 years. We were, we'd never heard of like a loan that long and for a car like that. You know, it's it wasn't a terrible car at the time, but it wasn't wasn't something that it was, we, it was any of us. I mean, I had a Stratus and, you know, it was the same car. It was a rebadged version yeah. of the same car. You know, that was actually a really nice car. It, it was roomy and it, it actually handled surprisingly well. Especially Late. if you got, if you got one of the six, I think or six or seven that were built with a manual transmission. <laughs> Late nineties Chrysler was great. Um, yeah. Those cars all rusted away, I think, before they wound up out of their loans. But 
that's a separate story. Uh, but it was just one of those things like you're, you're going to have this for a long time. And, and now we have a, a separate issue where, you know, there's a lot of student debt and stuff, too. So um, I, we're a little off the point here <laughs> that I was trying to make. Um, and I'll, I'm writing this up for, for Forbes. So look for that uh, sometime soon. But the the Outlander is uh, surprisingly solid still. It's a, it's a solid entry. I can see why it sells uh, so many. It, it, there's no shame in purchasing it, but uh, I, I think that in the market, like even just between it and the Subaru, the Subaru is a much better project, a product, um, and it's it's a lot newer. It drives a lot newer. Um, you know, the neither felt real comfortable at anything beyond about seven tenths, and you know, it's the electric power steering in both is weird, and you don't really have much of a sense of what's going on at the tires, and there's it's a cvt so that's unrewarding and the two liter engines are kind of soft you know they don't have that much oomph um the i was also shocked to notice the the subaru has kind of lost its burble um and i don't know whether they went to equal length uh exhaust manifold runners or something but yeah it has it just it sounds like a two liter four cylinder now like an inline engine i liked that i i didn't miss the burble um, but yeah, you know, it's the newer car is obviously, I think a little bit more evolved and it's better. Uh, and that's the one I, out of these two that wins, but the Mitsubishi for as much as everybody jokes about it, it's, it's solid enough. There's, there's just a lot of competition too, not just between Mitsubishi and Subaru. There's a lot of other stuff in that, that end of the market that you could purchase that. I mean, you, you're in a golf at that point too, not an all wheel drive golf, but, uh, you know, you've got to buy a performance golf for that, but there's a lot of other cars you can pick and they all sort of have their ups and downs. The, the combo of small engine, affordable price and all wheel drive though. There's not, not too many. So that's true. I will stop rambling. Um, I was, I was actually surprised at the, how well the, the Mitsubishi did just because that, that whole, whole thing is, is old. That's like 10 plus year old hardware. Yeah, I think uh, 2008 was when the Outlander Sport uh, debuted. And, yeah. Uh, you know, they, they just they did a very mild refresh this year that they launched at the uh, Chicago Auto Show. Um, but, I mean, you know, <laughs> we're talking very mild. Is the um, is the Eclipse going to replace this? The, so the new Eclipse is uh the eclipse cross i don't yeah. know it's it's they haven't really said so it's not clear exactly what's what um how those are going to fit into the lineup i'm guessing they're going to keep both wow that's gonna be because everything i saw about the i eclipse, think the, i think the eclipse cross is actually slightly is it smaller sl- larger slightly smaller huh. i hope it's not on this old platform <laughs> no <laughs> No, it it actually is on a new platform from what I understand. Yeah, Mitsubishi does like they're an underdog at this point, so I want to root for the underdog, but they they've got some challenges where their stuff is is very old, you know, and you've got the the Mirage is just like it completely does not belong in this market. Um and it, you know, so it becomes the butt of jokes, but it's it's a it, that is a rest of world car. You know, that that car be great in India, not here. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, and they're a big company and I, I just don't know what they're, what they're doing. Like why they're still hanging around if they're not going to get it together with product that fits this market. Yeah, they, they definitely need, uh, need stuff that's more competitive if they want to maintain a place over here. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's good. Let's pivot again. Uh, okay. sp- speaking of stuff that is competitive, uh, this week has been marked by, uh, a couple of announcements. Um, the first, speaking of competitive cars, is the 2018 Honda Accord. It's here, and you actually uh, went to the um, the event, uh, and you can talk about it now, right? It's not under embargo yeah. any longer. No, nope, yeah. no embargo. Uh, it was revealed today. Is you know uh, we're recording this on Friday night. It was revealed uh, this morning uh, here in Detroit, and um, it's it's literally all new. I mean, there's virtually no carryover parts. I mean, not even powertrains are carried over. Uh, everything, everything has been replaced, um, you know, from a design perspective, you know, it, uh, looks, it's very similar to, um, the current civic, uh, sedan, um, 
you know, same kind of fastback profile. Um, main difference, you know, aside from being a little bit larger, uh, is you know the front end. It's got a more vertical nose. Uh, to you know, following a similar kind of theme to a lot of manufacturers these days. You know, going with a a more flat faced, blunt nose, uh, which is kind of an interesting look. I think I think it works pretty well on this car. Um, but you know, overall, you know, it there's definitely you can definitely see the resemblance to the the Civic sedan, um, and um, for those five uh, percent or so of um, of uh, of Accord buyers over the last several years that have been opting for the two door version, um, you're just going to have to look elsewhere now because there yeah. is no more Accord Coupe. Uh, you know, I mean, this this is you know with this you know fastback styling on this car, you know, it's it. You know, it takes over where the coupe was, uh, but with four doors now. Well, I mean, honestly, the coupe must not have really sold many at all. Yeah, it was about twenty thousand a year. Yeah, so you're right. That's more than I thought. Very many. Yeah, I was I was actually surprised when I heard that from uh, from the folks at Honda. Uh, But yeah, it's been consistently selling. You know, about eighteen to twenty thousand every year for the last several years, which you know is not a lot. But, um, you know, it's it's a, it's a notable amount, but it's, you know, like all the other coupes or most of the other coupes, it's now history um, as sedans have all morphed into that coupe like profile, you know, where there's one continuous line going from the base of the windshield to the, the trailing edge of the car. Um, you know, and, th- you know, the other thing you know to note is really the the classic three box sedan is kind of dead. I mean, they're they're really aren't very many of them left anymore you know all, all the all the four-door sedans even even those that you know most of them still have a trunk but you know the trunk isn't doesn't really you know when you look at the car in profile it's not really visible as a separate shape like it traditionally was um and i i asked um you know about you know whether they had given any thought to doing a hatchback version of the accord um you know along the lines of what buick is doing with the new regal and, you know, they sounded like they weren't really very interested in that direction. Um, and certainly, you know, the last time that Honda tried something like that uh, with the uh, Accord Cross Tour uh, back about eight or nine years ago, it was not a great success. But, you know, then again, that car was also not really as as stylish as yeah. as some of the other more contemporary vehicles today. Well, the the cross tour had that issue of like it was just that weird humpback look. Uh, it was it was it was a good yeah, idea. It was, it was taller, you know, cross you know crossover, you know, kind of ride height, you know, very you know, a lot of utility. Uh, yeah. but it it wasn't particularly attractive. It rode really well. Uh, it yeah. drove. It was probably the the best driving version of the Accord. Um, it was expensive, and it was aimed at. Uh, I think they aimed it at empty nesters, uh, which it was an odd. It was an odd idea, uh, like in terms of where they positioned it. Um, for this accord, it was really interesting. A that they introduced it in Detroit. Were they? Are they? You know, they had your event in Detroit. That you know, it's it's an American they, car. They've done this uh, couple, you know, last couple of uh, product reveals for Honda as well. I mean, they they launched the uh, the new Civic there here, and they did the same in December with the uh, the Odyssey. Um, so, you know, it's, they, they like to come back to Detroit, you know, and the thing is a lot of these vehicles, you know, have been, most of the engineering has taken place here in the U S you know, down in Ohio and, uh, Marysville at, uh, Honda's North American, um, R and D headquarters. Um, so, you know, that's kind of out of the way. I mean, there's not many people there, so they, they tend to bring, you know, a lot of the, uh, the, the Marysville developed vehicles up here for their launches, um, cause it's, it's kind of relatively close to home for them, but you know, where, where everybody else, where all the media are. Yeah. Uh, and it, the, you know, the other thing, you know, even though they have dropped the, um, the coupe from the Accord lineup, um, what they have done, what they have kept is manual transmissions. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, they've, uh, they've, they've even expanded availability of the manual transmissions in the sedans. So the for 2018 there's going to be three powertrains available three engines available in the accord they've got the 1.5 liter turbo that's uh based on the one that's in the civic and the crv um a two liter turbo which is 
based on the engine that's in the uh, Civic Type R, but with a, a less powerful version of that. Um, and both of them are available with manual transmissions. Uh, the the one five is available with a six speed manual or a CVT, like in the uh, Civic and and uh, CRV. And then the two liter. Uh, is available with the manual or Honda's new 10-speed automatic that just debuted in the Odyssey minivan. And then the third powertrain option is the return of uh, their next-generation hybrid. So uh, the Accord Hybrid is going to be back again, uh, launching early in 2018. Well, and that's going to be interesting, too, because the the way they've designed it is uh, it doesn't, the the power unit, the batteries and stuff, don't eat up trunk space or right. you know, seat space. It's got a more compact battery, uh, lithium ion battery than before, and they've packaged it underneath the rear seat. Uh, so now the the Accord Hybrid has exactly the same trunk volume as all the other Accords. So they're all yeah. just shy of 17 cubic feet, uh, which is pretty impressive. So, uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, just uh, I was just going to say, you know, overall, I mean, you know, this thing's got a lot of interior room. I mean, you know, the Accord for a long time has been at least the four door Accords have been very roomy cars. And and that continues with this one. You know, overall, the cars, you know, the the, um, exterior dimensions are all within an inch of where they were before. It's slightly shorter, slightly lower, slightly wider, you know, but less than an inch difference in every dimension. The only the only notable difference is the wheelbase, which is now a little more than two inches longer. Uh, and most of that has gone into rear seat room. So uh, there's there's plenty of uh, plenty of space in this thing. Yeah, it's longer and yet short. I mean, it, the, the wheelbase is longer. The overall length is shorter. So the wheels then, you know, by nature, go out to the to the corners, opens up yep. interior space um, that tr- the, the trunk is larger as well. But one thing I've noticed about that swooping coupe like roof line is small, small openings. Right. It makes it impossible to get it. That just you have a big trunk you can't use or you can't. Well, that, and that's that's why I asked the question about, you know, whether they had considered a hatchback, you know, because, um, you know, especially, you know, since the Civic hatchback seems to be doing pretty well, you know, it seems like it would make sense to uh, to go back and, and, you know, think about doing a hatchback again on the Accord, because, you know, back in the, the first couple generations of the Accord in the, the 70s and 80s. Yep. Yeah. You know, they, they had a four door sedan and a three-door hatchback. Um, and, you know, it'd be, it'd be kind of cool to see them go back and, you know, or, you know, do it as a five-door now, do a five-door hatchback. You know, again, you know, similar, similar kind of layout to what Buick is doing on the Regal. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Honda has, they own some real estate in this space. It was really interesting to, to me to just take note of, uh, it's such a mainstream car. And yet, it sparks, you know, water cooler chatter. You know, people people know what I do, and so occasionally they'll ask me about cars. Usually, that's around like auto show season, and it's about the ridiculous stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I expected we'll get to in a minute, right? And I expected to be talking about, uh, you know, the this week's ridiculousness, which is the, the Aston Martin Valkyrie. Instead, though, I was you know fielding questions about like the new Accord and like oh that looks really good. I really like the the interior, which they've cleaned up a lot. Um, you know, there was that the, one of the comments was, oh, they finally got rid of that two screen nonsense. I was like, yes, yeah, <laughs> thank you. And you know, that even all, that was all always a, a dubious design choice. Yeah, and it also just like the infotainment system was just garbage too. So no matter how many screens it had, it just it was not good to use. It wasn't intuitive. It, I mean, it sounds like they've brought back knobs on the uh, yes, <laughs> the like, audio like, like the CRV and Odyssey. It has a, a rotary volume knob, and it also has a second knob for ra- tuning the radio. Yeah, um, I, I mean, it, this car comes at a time when the sedan is losing its its prominence. Um, so the ones that survive are going to be they're going to have to be either the very best or the very niche. And it looks like Honda is staking out the territory of being the very best with the the Accord. Yeah. You know, and the, it's interesting. You know, they've they've done a lot of uh, they've, they've, they're adding a lot of standard equipment on this thing. You know, so, for example, um, the Honda sensing package, um, you know, with all the driver assist systems is going to be standard equipment on this car. Uh, so you get adapt radar, adaptive cruise control, lane keeping system, collision mitigation, braking, um, 
blind spot uh, monitoring, uh, all that stuff. Standard on every single 2018 Accord. Uh, does, does that mean the base price goes up? Uh, we don't know what the base price is going to be, but yeah, we can assume it's probably going to go up a bit compared to where it was. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you get all that as, as standard equipment, uh, same as Toyota's doing the same thing on the new Camry as well. Uh, they're, they're putting that full suite of adaptive uh, or uh, drive, driver assist systems, ADAS systems on uh, every 2018 Camry. And I think it's just a matter of time before we see other manufacturers follow suit if they want to stay competitive in that segment. Um, another thing that they're, that's going to be standard on every 2018 Accord, adaptive uh, damping system. Is that standard on every single one or just the higher? Every single one from the base model on up. Yeah. So um, you get it. See, when you when you do it like that, it's not. Yeah. When 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 you do it like that, it it actually like the the adaptive dampers are probably a little bit more expensive. But overall, because all of them have it and the amount of cords they sell that that's a plus. Like it's it's not that expensive. You know, three hundred and fifty, four hundred thousand cars a year. You know, all of a sudden, you know, it starts to make sense to do something like that. Yeah. And and that way. So, you know, looking at it as a total perspective, like you don't have as many variations. If they all have the fancy suspension, then you don't have to spec and, uh, you know, set up a whole other line of parts for the not fancy su- suspension. So yeah, exactly. May actually be cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is an interesting way to look at it. Uh, so th- we touched on this too. The V6 is dead, uh, or not dead, but it's it's no longer offered in in this car. Um, I I feel like that's going to fundamentally change the character of of what a Honda's like uh, to drive. Um, you know, the, it, there'll be torque, which is beneficial, but Honda for me always meant very smooth. Uh, rev happy four-cylinder engines and the v6 was the same sort of way it was very smooth and it would like to rev and it was ballsy i have no doubt that these engines are going to have that low end to mid-range torque that modern turbocharged engines especially modern turbocharged fours do really well but from behind the wheel it's going to be a completely different experience yeah it's it certainly will um not nece- but not necessarily a bad experience. You know, the uh, the two liter, uh, the optional two liter engine uh, in the Accord that replaces the V6. Uh, you know, keep in mind that's a that's a slightly dialed back version of the engine that's in the Civic Type R. And somebody asked uh, Jeff Conrad today; he's the senior VP for American Honda. Um, you know, whether this means that we might at some point see a, an accord type r and he didn't say no he didn't say yes but he didn't you know he didn't rule it out either he said well you never know we'll, we'll see what happens i love um, it when so, they do that I'm like well yeah. maybe so you know if you know if the uh, the civic type r does well which it, it seems to be doing so far um i wouldn't rule out the, the the idea of an accord type r with you know maybe well, let's say you know 325 330 horsepower um, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. It'd be worth giving up a V6 for that. Yeah, I wouldn't kick it out of the driveway. Um, yeah. So, all right. So now we have this year, we've got a new Camry and we've got a new Accord. We've got a new Fusion coming on on the way. Um, uh, well, in, in a couple of years. Fusion, the fu- yeah, the Fusion's probably <laughs> still two years away. You know, given, given that they just launched uh, a new um, police version of the Fusion Hybrid at the New York Auto Show um, that's not coming out till early 2018, um it, i'd say it's a safe bet that we're probably at least two more years away from a new fusion yeah it's i've i've seen spy shots though so i know they're working on it um but so where does where does the new accord fit uh with with sort of the two titans of the class now have just been redone um how does it shake out um it's going to be very interesting you know the the uh the new um Camry, you know, has, you know, completely different styling, much more aggressive styling than it's ever had before. You know, it's built on their Toyota's new TNGA platform. It's it's going to be a very interesting race between these two. And, you know, um, Nissan is probably going to launch uh, a new Altima uh, within the next 12 months as well. I, w- I would guess uh, we'll probably see the new Altima uh, maybe at the uh, either at the LA Auto Show or the uh, Detroit Auto Show in January. Um, because we saw a concept uh, this year's Detroit Auto Show that, uh, you know, four door sedan uh, with, 
uh, Nissan's new styling direction that is, you know, almost, the, you know, the right about the exact same size you would expect of an Altima. Uh, and so that that almost uh, assuredly uh, previews what we're going to see most likely at the Detroit show. So by by this time next year, we'll have three brand new midsize sedans and, you know, the, the top three sellers in this segment, um, all brand new. And I think it's going to be uh, very interesting to watch. I don't know which one's going to, which one's going to win. And, you know, it's certainly possible that if these cars are good enough, it might start to draw back some of the consumers that have been jumping from cars uh, into uh, mid smaller and midsize crossovers because, you know, the, the midsize sedan segment has been one of the hardest hit in terms of um, sales losses over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's ever going to go away. I just think that the uh, the imagination of of this market is, and and you know global markets has been really captured by the crossover, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons. Um, but we're always going to have uh, midsize sedans. Um, there, there'll be some attrition just as as the market for them does does shrink, and it may come back, like you say uh as of right now it doesn't look like it's going to but the the fact that you can you can develop a really good mid-sized sedan and uh because of their nature crossovers basically share all that hardware mm -hmm. uh it's it's not really a big deal uh from an automaker perspective that people are buying one thing versus the other it's just just an adjustment for for us that you know yeah, one one type of car is kind of falling by the wayside. But, you know, minivans were everywhere and really hot 20, 25 years ago. And now there's fewer choices, but they've kind of found this this stasis. It's a steady market and there's there's good product out there. Yeah, it's not but, not shrinking. And you know, yeah. so it's not going away anytime soon. But there's there's definitely a market for them. Speaking of which, did you happen to catch uh, Joanne Muller's uh, little piece earlier this week about the Odyssey? I didn't. I I uh, I apologize. I have had a week. I mean, I had one person quit, and it was yeah, it was a good time. She she went she went on a road trip uh, with her husband in an Odyssey uh, last week, and uh, well, it wasn't the, it wasn't the Disney one, was it? <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, uh, but while she was driving, uh, her husband was checking out the infotainment system, and one of the features they offer in the Odyssey is uh, a streaming video package uh, using the the built-in uh, 4G LTE um, connectivity that's in there. Um, and one of the channels that's uh, available on there was, uh, I believe, Epix. Uh, and it turns out there was some content on there that was, uh, let's just say, not family-friendly. Some some blue content, shall we say? Uh, yes. Um, and huh. uh, so <laughs> she uh, she let the folks at Honda know what, uh, what her husband had found, and uh, they quickly <laughs> made some calls and had that turned off. <laughs> really i mean you i feel like you could probably spin that into another market offering oh absolutely i mean you know like, like that, could, that could be a separate separate option package you know and, uh, right uh, yeah, you know, just a you know, just like you you know, on your cable package, you order uh, HBO and Showtime and Cinemax. You know, you can right. order order some extra content in your right. Man if you can get so the Honda right, the Honda Odyssey Skinemax package. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was a short lived little controversy. <laughs> That's I mean. The fact that we're this is the 1950s, like we are in the 1950s future. It just looks different than it was imagined. Right. We got cars that drive themselves. We got TV in our cars and, you and know, we got cars that look like spaceships. Yeah, that's. Uh, this, the, the, and we're moving on to the Valkyrie at this point, in case anybody didn't pick up on that. <laughs> I, I'm this is like the embodiment of racing improves the breed like this is it looks just like a race car that they put some extra body work on to put it on the street i and i you know, like Barely any extra yeah um it's a really fascinating experiment and i have no illusions that we're gonna see a lower market you know lower end car uh come out like this but um you know for me i i'm not all that into supercars and hypercars or whatever kind of nonsense word we're going to make up for these things um but this one's really interesting because it's it's not the wretched excess it's actually the lack of excess it's it's like pure aerodynamic study um and and it is really just essentially a race car <laughs> that they turned into a street yeah, I mean, car. It's, it's fascinating it's, it's basically you know i mean 
in the road and track article, he refers to it as an LMP1 car. It's, I'd say it's actually closer to a P2 because it doesn't have any kind of hybrid powertrain uh, like the like the P1s do. But you know, it's it is effectively a Le Mans prototype um, that's been made fairly street legal. I mean, the last time that happened was like I, I mean, I'll go back. The cars that I think of that we had or have that came out of Le Mans racing were, are like the Cobra <laughs> yeah. 60 years ago. Well, I mean, there there were a handful, you know, in the 90s um, after the success of the McLaren F1 winning the uh, winning Le Mans outright in, in 1995. Uh, you know, the, the GT class took off for a few years and, you know, a bunch of manufacturers, you know, started getting crazier and crazier, you know, and, until things just got totally out of hand. You know, you had the uh, Mercedes uh, CLR, you know, they went through a couple of generations right. of the CLK GTR and then finally the CLR. Uh, XJ220, was that one of them? Uh, that actually predated it. That, that okay. one never never raced at Le Mans, but there was the, the Porsche 911 GT1, uh, you know, and then the, the Toyota GT1. You know, which really was just a a, a P1 car, um, you know, that was the the only pretense to being a street car was one of the rules that Le Mans had at the time was that there had to be like two cubic feet of car of luggage space somewhere <laughs> in the car. And, you know, so on the, the Toyota GT1, um, they had like this little bin in the back uh, in the engine bay behind the engine that, you know, it was so hot back there. You couldn't actually put any, you know, store anything in that, in that bin. That's, that's where you bake the pies. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, so there were, there were some, some really crazy vehicles then. Um, but at that time they only had to build, I believe it was um, one or two road legal examples uh, in order to, you know, in order to homologate it for Le Mans. Um, and, uh, you know, this thing is not even intended to go racing the Valkyrie. Uh, it's just, it's just nuts. I think it's really cool. You know, and so I, I strongly dislike stuff like the Bugatti Veyron and Chiron, uh, just cause they are like, they're these giant locomotives, you know, and mm. they're just a wretched excess it's brute, brute force. Yeah. It's brute force approach to supercars. And, and like, I have to say the engineering that's in all of these kind of cars is, is really, really interesting. Um, but this one just sort of makes such a statement because it's, it's so stripped down. It's got a huge aerodynamic tunnel in it, in the middle, which is, is it, it looks so wispy and fragile. And yet, um, Aston Martin says it's going to be road legal everywhere it's it's sold. Uh, I'm assuming that they're going to sell it in the U.S. market because there's people here with money that will buy it. Uh, I can't imagine I what it would be like. I don't know if this thing will will meet uh, U.S. Uh, safety requirements, like if it'll meet U.S. regs. I don't know if they are going to sell it here. Well, you know, And they, they designed this thing in collaboration with uh, the Red Bull F1 team. Uh, so maybe it's just a publicity stunt. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, they're they're building a small batch of them. I'm not sure exactly how many they're planning to build. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it is effectively a publicity stunt. But, you know, every few years, you know, recently, you know, Aston Martin's been doing, you know, something totally over the top, you know, like back, uh, you know, in the latter part of the previous decade, they did the the 177, uh, which they built 77 examples of. Yeah. Um, and I think this one they're building maybe 50 of them i'm not not entirely sure what the the total production run's going to be like it actually looks like it kind of would suck to drive especially to actually try to drive it out on public roads the cockpit you know they say it'll it'll hold people who are you know 6 foot plus but it looks really tight and the view well, out and, the windshield and, looks tight you know, i mean yeah if you if you look out the you know the 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 shot in the road and track article that we'll link to in the, uh, the show notes, you know, there's a photo looking, you know, out through the windshield and the windshield is pretty small and has some pretty huge pillars. Like, you know, the, the carbon fiber frame around this thing is pretty massive. Visibility is basically non-existent out of this thing. Yeah. You know, except yeah. for, you know, small slot straight ahead, which is actually That's perfect for racing to, yeah. to a Le Mans prototype. Yeah. And they've got camera based uh, rear view mirrors, which like mm -hmm. all of it's again, it's 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 really well done. It's nicely turned out because uh, it's it's basically a, a race car, a race car ideas that they've they've dressed up with 
some of the typical Aston Martin sort of road car luxury. Um, you know, I do wonder what happens when this stuff does start to trip. Like, what are we going to see first in the next, you know, next generation Camaro or Mustang? What are they going to pick up from, from this kind of stuff? Because that's what's going to happen is uh, these supercar features are, are going to start to to move down market once people continue to, to see them and, and uh, you know, they just get introduced that way. We're going to we're going to see some of this stuff in regular cars eventually, I think. I, just, yeah. I don't know what it's well, going to be. Yeah, I found it. They're they're built. They're building uh, 150 Valkyries at 3.2 million dollars a piece, um, and you know the the camera based mirrors you know are one of the the uh, interesting features. Right now, that's not le- not legal uh, in North America, um, and there's only a few places where it is uh, legal. Uh, you know, so they're going to have to get uh, some dispensation on that one. Uh, but that is that is a feature that you know automakers would like to put in because not having the mirrors hanging off the side of the car, that's a lot of, those things generate a lot of drag. And so they would, they would prefer to uh, go to a camera based system like this, you know, with, with the displays inside the car. I would prefer Uh, not to do that. (laughs) I like the Honda lane watch system. I absolutely hate, hate, well, hate it with fiery passion. (laughs) Lane watch, lane watch is, is not a great example of this. But um, actually, you know, I, th- I think the idea of a camera based system, you know, rear view system, uh, actually, I think it is a good idea. I mean, for one thing, um, you can all you can guarantee that they're always going to be aimed correctly, you know, whereas most people don't aim their mirror. You know, if they use their mirrors at all, you know, they don't aim. They don't, a lot of people don't aim them properly. Look, I mean, uh, this is this is too much of their own car. And, yeah. But see, we have the knowledge. We know we we know we have this specialized expertise. That's what makes us so awesome. And like, you know, like back in the day, if you wanted to be a recording engineer, you used to have to know how to like align your tape machine and set up the the um, you know the bias and everything. And and just it was like specialized knowledge. Now you just like plug stuff into your computer. And and I don't know. It makes me sad. And I feel like I'm now complaining like an old man about like how many uh, rods to a hogshead uh, <laughs> a, a car will return and fuel economy. So forget it. Um, we're going to see camera based mirrors. And it's actually I think you're right. That's probably one of the things that's going to come sooner rather than later, especially as fuel economy uh, requirements ratchet up. Uh, it removes the drag. They're probably uh, again, they're they're probably, you know, smaller, lighter easier to package um the idea of a screen like playing back a constant video feed inside seems a little weird to me like it's just more light pollution in the in the cabin at night and i I like those things seem like practical matters that need to get solved before i will accept it without the the you know burning hatred of a thousand suns (laughs) well i mean there, there are still a lot of analog cars on the road that you can drive um, but you know, this, this, I think this is something, and in fact, you know, um, if, if there's one, you know, from, from an automotive perspective, if there's one good thing that might come out of the current administration's, um, total abhorrence of all regulations, um, and their desire to repeal as many existing safety regulations as possible. Um, I think one, one particular regulation that automakers would like to see repealed is the, the one that covers rearview mirrors. Uh, because they they do want to do this, and you know, so there there is the potential to uh, eliminate that regulation so that they can do stuff like this. Of course, they want to take the mirrors away. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, you drive on American roads. You know, people don't use them anyway. So what what's the difference? That's true. It makes every day like a race day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah, and honestly, I think that's that's about all we have to say about the the Valkyrie until we see more materialized with it. Not not that either one of us will probably ever get the opportunity to drive one, but I think you may. Eh, I don't know. I mean, there's there's only only 150 of them that are going to be built. But you like you do all those fancy things. I I'm stuck out here at my Boston outpost where I can just. Hey, I, I still I still haven't driven uh, the GT350 or a Ford GT, so. OK, sometimes I guess I get lucky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. Have we had any? I think we've 
we didn't put out the call for questions, but any yeah, feedback? We, yeah, we 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 did have um, we did have one. Uh, there was a tweet a couple of days ago that uh, somebody had a uh, suggestion that uh, every time you make a Ralph Nader reference, uh, I should take a shot. Um, and uh, I think we'll just ignore that one. Well, you'd be fine this week. I made no Ralph Nader references. <laughs> That's true. Uh, let's see. Do we have any other messages or comments? Uh, I think that's about it. Uh, yeah, that, that's about it. Uh, I did want to mention um, the upcoming uh, Concours of America, Concours d'Elegance of America. Oh, that's right. I yeah. that looks super cool. Uh, just, I mean, lots of really interesting cars that you don't necessarily associate with a Concours. Right. Um, the, so this is the the show that used to be the uh, Meadowbrook Concours uh, d'Elegance. Um, and about uh, six or seven years ago, they moved it from Meadowbrook Hall uh, up in Auburn Hills or Rochester Hills, Michigan, uh, to the Inn at St. John's in Plymouth, Michigan. Uh, and uh, it's a it's an amazing show. It's, it's one of the one of the top uh, concours in North America, along with Amelia Island and Pebble, Pebble Beach. Uh, and they always have uh, they always try to pick the the organizers always try to set up a few unique classes every year. Uh, like, for example, last year they had this amazing class of rally cars uh, that included uh, some some just fabulous stuff, including uh, several Group B cars in there. Uh, there was an MG Metro 6R4 and uh, uh, a Lancia uh, Delta or um, a Delta S4 uh, and an Integrale. So it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, this year, uh, they just had, they, the organizers just had a media preview uh, a couple of days ago here in, in Detroit or in Plymouth more specifically uh, to talk about some of the classes this year. And they had a few of the cars that are going to be on display, including this amazing Ferrari Daytona coupe, uh, 1973 Daytona coupe, just gorgeous. Uh, but one of the, uh, the coolest classes that they're uh, going to have this year is the uh, Can-Am uh, challenge cup class. Uh, and this is for cars that ran in the classic Can-Am series in the late sixties and early seventies, um, which is going to include uh, one of the, one of the cars they had on display at the preview was a shadow DN four from 1974, which is the last year of the, the classic Can-Am series before they shifted over to formula 5,000. Uh, a couple of the other cars that are going to be on uh, at the show this year. Uh, there's going to be a Porsche 91730, uh, which is, you know, utterly dominated uh, the Can-Am in 1973 uh, in the hands of uh, Mark Donahue, uh, one of the fastest race cars ever built. Was that the uh, last? Um, when did he die? He died. He died in 75, I think, uh, 74 or 75. So this was a year or two before he died. Uh, he died in 75 uh, while testing um, a Penske Formula One car at the Nürburgring, I believe. Yeah, that's I mean, such a great loss. Yeah, I know. He was, he was an amazing driver. And you know, he was able to I mean, he was able to run fast in anything that you put him in, which was one of the really phenomenal things in Indy cars, F1 cars, Can-Am, you name it. Yeah, well, he could he could explain it, too, because he was an engineer. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was, he, you know, his crews loved to work with him because of his ability to really get into the nuts and bolts and tell him exactly what the car was doing, you know, so they could tweak things and, and make it faster for him. Um, some of the other uh, some of the other classes this year, there's a Cobra class, uh, you know, which is for 1960s era Shelby Cobras. Um, there's uh, a, a, gr a group of Rolls Royce Silver Ghosts uh, from the uh, early part of the 20th century, very, very early Rolls Royces. Uh, and of course, some hypercars. There's a group of hypercars that will be on display. But it, uh, if you're if you're in the uh, southeast Michigan area, uh, the weekend of uh, July 29th, the last weekend of July uh, at the in at St. John's, uh, the, the Concours is a fantastic show. Definitely worth a visit uh, on that Sunday, especially if it's, a, if it's a nice sunny day like it was last year. Uh, I highly recommend it if you're in town. And then, you know, the following weekend, uh, also, you know, if you're in the area, don't forget the Hespin Rally. Uh, you can sign up uh, at uh, HespinRally.com uh, to uh, the fundraiser for um, the uh, oh, I can never remember the name of the it's a it's a form of uh, bile duct cancer that uh, 
claim the life of a uh, friend of many of us in this area, Patrick Hespin, um, way too early in his, in his life. Uh, and we'll have a, a big group of people uh, doing a road rally from uh, Birmingham, Michigan, down to Belle Isle uh, with a lot of cool cars. Uh, so, you know, whether you want to drive and participate or, or just come and watch, uh, come check it out um, on uh, that Sunday morning, August 6th. Yeah, I have uh, shamefully to admit that I have not been to any automotive stuff this summer, not even like a local cruise night. Uh, I wanted to make it out. We have so around here, we have the Lars Anderson Auto Museum and they do a lot of lawn events every every weekend. There's a theme like this. This week, it's Miata Day uh, on Sunday. Last week, it was Microcar Day and I missed it. I really wanted to go. That would have been fun. We went a few years ago and there was just really, really neat stuff. Obviously, there's like I said, us and stuff, but there's like many uh, the Mokes uh, were there. Um, Is there Henry J's? Yeah, I don't I don't uh, I I don't know when the last time I saw Henry J. Definitely the Bantams. Yeah, the the Bantams and then like, you know, minis and stuff and uh, just such neat, neat things. Uh, And that might have been the show that had a Nissan Figaro at it. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the cool things now. You know, a lot a lot of those there was a lot of really cool uh, Japanese market cars in the late '80s, early '90s that are now because they're over 25 years old, they're legal to bring into the U.S. You know, and you don't have to um, federalize them. You can basically bring them in essentially stock and register them here uh and you can get some pretty good deals on some of those cars i know i know a few people uh around here that have got some have acquired some very interesting cars like uh chris palkert uh ex of uh autoblog and and now at uh, roadshow has a, a nissan figaro mike austin has a honda beat uh which was yeah the honda beat was really cool yeah <laughs> a little 660cc mid-engine two-seater uh, you know kind of a uh, a micro NSX of its time. Yeah. All those like wacky uh, late nineties Japanese cars were just, I love the fact that we can, can bring them in now and they're not really, they're not anything other than styling exercises. You know, the, the running gear is really common stuff. It's not, they're not exotic in any way, but they, you, you never see them here. So they they do really stand out and they're, they're fun and cheap to run. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I will have to eventually this summer try to get up to some car things. I've done nothing. <laughs> You're <a> bad boy. <laughs> I'm just old. I've done just like whatever. I have used the lawnmower. I've done stuff with engines. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we haven't had much feedback this week. It's been quiet. Everybody's on summer vacation. Uh, and, you know, that I think the, the Accord and the Valkyrie are two ends of the spectrum. I think those were good news items to cover but uh i think we've done a podcast uh and you know certainly please go leave us feedback and let us know if you want us to to yak about stuff you want our unique uh perspective on things because <laughs> <laughs> you want to you want to hear you know sam who knows everything talk about something from an informed perspective or you want me to just complain like a cranky old man or both either way uh we can do that uh and uh yeah this is podcast 31 wheel bearings 31 and we'll be back uh soon for wheel bearings 32 all right see you next time when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.